Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Absolute Return Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's show, we welcome special guest, Satellogic CEO Emiliano Cargiman. Satellogic is a leader in high-resolution satellite data collection. On the show, Emiliano discusses the market opportunity for satellite imaging, how the company is making Earth observation imagery accessible and affordable, how Satellogic's Earth observation data is helping the Ukrainian people in the war against Russia, his advice on finding success as an entrepreneur, and more. So with no further ado, here's our show with Emiliano from Satellogic. Welcome to the podcast, Emiliano. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. We appreciate you joining all the way from Barcelona. Hopefully it's not too late, but won't keep you up uh, way, way late tonight. So let's kick things off here. I wanted to start with the genesis of the company founded in 2010. At that point in time, I assume satellite technology was way, way underdeveloped versus where it is now. What was the underlying thesis behind the founding of Satellogic way back then? Totally. And yeah, you're completely right. There was a single uh, you know, private aerospace company that was, uh, you know, an example for us at the time. SpaceX had yet launched their first uh, Falcon 1 rocket, right? So it was uh, very early on. Um, and, and the reality is I'm not an aerospace guy, right? I come, you know, my, my former background is mathematics, but I've been building technology all my life and, and the, you know, information technology sector, mostly information security. My first companies were information security companies. And I, I landed on satellites, you know, or... Uh, by chance, a little bit by chance. I was uh, uh, looking and very interested in, in understanding the trade-offs between food production and distribution and energy generation and distribution and how we manage natural resources to uh, tackle the challenges of, you know, increased volatility in the world and, uh, uh, you know, due to climate change and to interconnectedness that we have. And uh, uh, that got me thinking of, you know, the models we use to uh, to make decisions around those big topics. And uh, when you look at those models, you know, the models might be fine, but what was clear to me was that we were feeding those models with very stale and old data, right? And so that, you know, that's what got me down this path. I started to think, okay, what is it that we're doing? You know, when we need to find out what's going on anywhere in the world, what are our tools, right? What can we do to, you know, to do that? And, uh, you know, in the end, it doesn't matter if you're flying a plane with a camera, you're, you know, uh, flying a helicopter, you're usually calling someone on the phone that is close to whatever you're interested in knowing all what's going on and asking them, you know, what's happening around the corner. All of those things share amongst them the problem that, you know, it's it's very expensive. It's very expensive to collect data. It, there's a huge opportunity cost, right? We have to figure out where to send people, where to send planes, even where to point satellites, right? All those things have a huge opportunity. And I started you know, thinking, okay, is there a way for us to build the technology, to build the infrastructure so that we can collect data of anything, anywhere on the planet, 
you know, without having to pay a large opportunity cost, without having to pay this big, you know, data collection cost. And that, you know, I was pretty agnostic on the technology side, but I'm a technologist, so I knew there was a technological solution to this problem, right? So I started thinking, you know, sensors in the ground, but those, of course, are very expensive to roll out. And, and you know, I was going up, right, sensors in the ground, stuff on, you know, on mobile phones and cars and, and planes and helicopters and balloons, and I ended up getting to orbit, right? And I realized that, that satellites are really well positioned to collect uh, data of what's happening on the planet, but it was just a matter of putting enough satellites, you know, that so that you could collect data basically uh, over all of the Earth at the right frequency uh, to be able to distribute it at an affordable cost. And it's taken us 10 years, not, you know, the vision of what we're trying to do, but actually realizing the unit economics that you need to realize in order to be able to implement this model, right? To put enough satellites around the Earth that we can remap the entire surface of the planet. Right. That, you know, that required for us that we improved on the, you know, individual satellite cost by a factor of a thousand compared to what would what existed when it started in 2010. So we're building satellites that are literally a thousand times less expensive. But even if you think about it in terms of the data collection capacity that the satellites have, we are currently building satellites that are a hundred times more cost efficient than any other uh, means of not only satellites, any other means of data collection that we have. And that's really the key to be able to implement our model, go and remap the entire surface of the Earth and deliver this data to every customer in the planet, you know, governments, corporations, small companies, individuals to make smarter decisions about this big problem. So remapping the surface of the Earth from space is certainly an ambitious goal. It's taken you guys over 10 years to go from founding to now you're nearly a $1 billion market cap publicly traded company. You've raised hundreds of millions of dollars in capital. I was wondering, as a founder and CEO, how did you grow a company that needed over 10 years of development prior to generating sales? How did you, you know, convince stakeholders, investors, employees of that long time frame? Yeah, and it's a super good question. And uh, and the real answer to that question is, you know, we are we've always been a, a purpose-driven company, right? There's a reason we're doing what we're doing because we think there is a role this technology needs to play in helping us uh, negotiate the trade-offs and improve the way we are managing the resources of our planet. And uh, you know, that purpose basically has been at the basis of the patience that we had to develop internally, employees of the company, and, and so on. Uh, but also, it meant we had to go out and find, you know, very patient investors, right? Investors that would be willing to put up with a very long development time. We were able to do that early on. We were able to find those investors. Uh, it wasn't necessarily easy, you know, raising money for a space company back in 2010 was not the same thing as raising money for a space startup, in, you know, uh, today, right? It was... Uh, harder to convince people that there even was a thing as commercial space, right? And much more than, you know, that you needed to spend, you know, of course, we didn't expect it to be 10 years at the time. We expect it to be a little bit less than that. But uh, but even if it was, you know, six, seven years of development time, right, it, it, it was difficult to do that. But we were, you know, we were lucky to find uh, the right set of, of investors with long-term view that, you know, really worked with us throughout all this process you know, very successfully, as you say, we've raised over $400 million uh, in the last 10 years to, you know, to bring this idea to, to fruition. 
And, you know, that shows in, in this huge uh, differentiation we have compared to anybody else, right? And, and that differentiation is really not because, you know, we, we really wanted to, to maximize uh, uh, how much, you know, or, or, or minimize the cost per satellite. It was really about reaching the right unit economics to be able to implement this business model. And, uh, you know, yes, finally last year, we were able to uh, launch enough satellites to demonstrate in orbit not only our unit economics, but the fact that we can deliver data at scale to customers. And, uh, you know, and, and this year is all about scaling, right? We're doubling our fleet this year, doubling again next year, and, and really get, getting ways to deliver weekly remaps of the entire planet by the end of next year and daily remaps of the entire surface of the Earth in high resolution by 2025. So you talked about minimizing costs, optimizing unit economics all through scaling. Can you talk about how Satellogic is making Earth observation imagery accessible and affordable? I assume that this is not an inexpensive endeavor. No, 100%. And look, look, we're still a satellite company. We're still, in a sense, a capital-intensive company, right? But you know, what we're trying to do, in essence, is we're trying to change the business model for observation. So far, up until now, with satellites, you have the same situation that you have with planes or with helicopters and with people in the ground. Right? You, we have, humanity has a few high-resolution observation satellites in orbit. And when something happens, we need to go and point the satellites to, you know, to the targets, right? That means that when, when we're selling with, this, with the number of satellites, we're choosing which customers we're going to sell to. We're choosing basically based on how much customers are willing to pay. And what that means is, you know, we can only serve a limited number of customers. This market cannot grow, right? So if you look at the Earth observation market today, is mostly defense and intelligence, right? It's, uh, you know, 90% of the market is governments for high-resolution imagery, mostly for defense and intelligence purposes, right? And it's been impossible for the industry to break out of this market. But for me, it's a, you know, I consider this a niche market, even though it might be a, you know, two, three billion dollar market. It's really a niche market compared to the value that the technology we're building can bring to a lot of other industries, right? And the way to, to, to break out of this market and really be able to deliver on mainstream applications for this technology in insurance, agriculture, forestry, infrastructure monitoring, and so on, it has to be able to deliver the data to the customers at the right price point. And to do that, you have to figure out a way to avoid having to point your satellites to every particular target and having to choose which customers you're going to serve all the time. The way we managed to do that, and this is the only, really the only possible solution, is by just putting enough satellites in orbit that even if we just point all the satellites down, we're going to remap the entire surface of the planet every week and then every day so that for any customer in the world that wants weekly data first, for any customer that wants daily data later, we will be in a position to deliver this data basically with zero marginal cost, right? And I think that's really the beauty of this model. Once you reach the point where you are able to deliver data to customers at near zero marginal cost, right? Just the cost of putting the data through the internet. You get to the point where you can serve every customer in the world for every potential application of this technology, right? That explodes the market for well beyond the existing defensive intelligence market. And start and you start replacing all these other in, you know inefficient means of data collection we're using today, like helicopters and planes and boots on the ground, right? Which is really you know the largest source of data 
that companies are using today to make decisions, right? And we think that brings a lot of efficiencies to markets, you know, and, um, you know, very positive economic impact overall, but it also will help us manage and, and make the best use of the resources that we have, right? So, so we think, uh, you know, and, and, and we're now finally, you know, a few months away from being able to deliver on that business model. Yeah. Uh, but that's because we spent the last 10 years, you know, reaching this new economics, building the, building the technology to be able to. Um, so our vision is one of democratizing access to Earth observation data so that it can be used, the data that we collect from orbit, to improve the decision making for every industry and uh, every company. So in terms of hitting on this hockey stick type growth curve, you have to break out of this two to three billion dollar defense and intelligence niche market to more more applications, more customers. I saw in the investor presentation you estimate the ultimate market size as about $140 billion. Can you talk about some potential applications where you see your technology being applied and opening up these new markets? Totally. So, you know, it's it's funny when you're trying to build a, a platform like this to go and acquire data, right? And, and our business in the end is a, you know, a data business. You you have this tendency to say, okay, you know, we're going to go out, pull this capex, you know, start collecting this data, and then we figure out <laughs> what people is going to use use it for, right? This kind of build it and they will come, uh, you know, uh, strategy. Of course, you know, we're very scared of that strategy. So over the last... Uh, a few years, what we did is we went out and piloted end-to-end solutions using the technology that we had been putting in orbit, the prototypes that we put in orbit, uh, uh, and we used those to uh, you know go really deep in, in in four or five verticals, you know, from it, uh, financial services to agriculture, forestry, and infrastructure monitoring, and and we developed twelve different applications for end customers, right, working with end customers ranging from pipeline monitoring for oil and gas companies to agricultural supply chain management for vertically integrated agricultural companies, um, all the way down to uh, monitoring of uh, renewables, you know, hydroelectric, um, uh, solar, wind, and so on. And what we were able to show with this dozen of, uh, you know, paid pilots that we did with customers is that the data we're collecting from the satellites is good enough to replace the applications that, you know, on the other sources of data that companies are currently using to make their decisions. But we were also able to um, validate the pricing, right? How much they're willing to pay for a replacement solution. And even only in these 12 pilots that we've done, we were able to validate a $40 billion uh, total addressable market that becomes available to us immediately when we reach weekly remaps of the uh, service of the Earth, right? So by the end of next year, you know, the market for Earth observation will grow by just putting out the infrastructure and putting in orbit to a $40 billion total addressable market, just in this 12 applications that we've uh, showcased already, right? And from there on, uh, you know, we think there's a large number of applications that are still to be discovered, and there's a large number of applications start to become available once you start going from weekly all the way to daily remaps of planet So we've sized up and we've done this uh, internally. We also, you know, uh, engage with third parties to validate these numbers, but we've sized up a $140 billion total addressable market. And a lot of it is, you know, it's not new. It's not that we're going and, and building new markets. It's we are going to be replacing 
you know, other sources of data that people are currently using to make decisions with something that is more consistent, more efficient, and that, you know, you can, you can build and automate algorithms on top to, you know, to give you a more a faster and more consistent answer. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate. Do you want to diversify your investment portfolio while benefiting the planet? The Accelerate Carbon Negative Bitcoin ETF, symbol ABTC on the Toronto Stock Exchange, provides investors with exposure to Bitcoin while protecting the environment. Accelerate implements a global tree planting campaign to sequester carbon emissions and help fight climate change. Up to 10% of ABTC's 69 basis point management fee will be allocated to Accelerate's annual tree planting campaign. For each $1,000 invested in ABTC, an estimated one net ton of carbon dioxide is expected to be sequestered each year. Buy Bitcoin, save the planet. Find out more at investabtc.com. So earlier you mentioned some of the unit economics of your business. Could you go into a little bit uh, greater detail on the economics perhaps per satellite currently and then how you expect that to look in the future as as you get even greater scale? Yeah, 100%. So they we are building our satellites for around $500,000 in bill of materials. We can build them and put them in orbit, including launch cost for a fully loaded cost of less than a million dollars a piece, right? This compares to, you know, small satellites in, in our peer group that are over $10 million. So it's 10 times a lower cost per satellite, CapEx cost per satellite. But also these satellites that we're building because of the camera technology that we built and this 10 years of, of development that we have behind us, they collect 10 times more data than our peers, right? So when you compare our million-dollar satellite to a $10 million small satellite that produces high-resolution imagery, we're not only 10 times lower cost, we also produce 10 times more data. This is the reason we have this 100 times better unit economics that our peers, right? If you compare this to traditional satellites in our industry, a traditional satellite from Maxar from Airbus is going to be an $800 million, $600 million satellite, right? That is producing exquisite data. But when you run the unit economic calculation, you know, how much it costs for each square kilometer of data you're collecting, we're also going to be 120, 150 times better unit economics than this uh, very large satellites that have a lot of capacity. The other problem is, you know, there's only a few of these very large satellites, right, today. And, uh, and, and we can scale with, you know, million-dollar satellites. We can basically put you know, 900 satellites for the cost of a single worldview uh, satellite, right? Now, looking into the future uh, of how the unit economics evolve, uh, what I would say is we are, I, I think the, if you look at our CapEx investment, and the, particularly if you look at our CapEx replenishment rate, to remap the entire surface of the Earth every week, for example, we have a CapEx investment that's around $50 million. And a CapEx rate, that's a little bit, you know, it's around $18 million a year, right? We think this is a very sustainable uh, uh, CapEx replenishment rate. So we're not really looking into, you know, how can we lower this, you know, this CapEx cost going forward? How can we lower the, the CapEx replenishment rate? What we're looking at is how do we improve the capacity of our satellites over time, keeping the same cost structure? Right. So if you look at our uh, unit economics going forward, the unit economics improve 
but not because the cost of each individual satellite uh, becomes uh, uh, smaller, but because the capacity of the satellites increases, right? So we're basically putting Earth observation satellites into a more slow type of curve where we are in a position to basically double capacity of our satellites in orbit roughly every 18 months. And this is also a way in which we continue to push technology forward. We continue to deliver more value to customers and also, you know, create a long-term barrier for competitors to, to come and play in our in our mode. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers. With a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance, the Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies in one easy to use, one choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. As I understand, you've used uh, SpaceX for launching your satellites um, into the atmosphere. When when you look at the industry for the actual launch, what what sort of innovations um, are are coming coming into this sector uh, that that will have some trickle down effects on your own business as we move forward? And is there is there many credible part? partners that could be used in lieu of SpaceX? What, what's that overall industry looking like um, that would trickle into yours? Yeah, I think we're, we're currently launching with SpaceX. We have a multiple launch agreement with them that covers all this year and next year. Um, I think for us, uh, you know, I think SpaceX is a match today. I mean, there's just no other world that's in a position to launch uh, with uh, similar cost structure, right? And it has to do, and that's a testament to the innovation that they brought to this industry, right? By bring, by doing, not only becoming the first completely vertically integrated uh, launch company, right? Which gives them a, a really good advantage in terms of, of CapEx for, for a rocket, but also, you know, the innovations around the uh, reusability of rockets, right? Which gives them, you know, maybe another 20, 30% advantage compared to competitors, right? And what SpaceX done over the last few years is something that for a long time, nobody's done, right? If you look back in time, you know, launch cost per kilogram has been kind of stable. You know, the lower point on, on launch cost per kilogram had been, you know, around $10,000 per kilogram for decades, right? And finally, uh, last year, SpaceX brought their own uh, uh, price to market down to around $5,000 per kilogram, uh, which was, uh, you know, huge, like really huge. It starts enabling new businesses. It starts enabling new business models, right, that didn't close with $10,000 per kilogram. Now, what's coming from SpaceX themselves, you know, they have been working on Starship, the promise of Starship, you know, uh, Elon would say they're going for $150 per kilogram, right, in orbit. Even if you think it's going to be $1,000 or $1,500 per kilogram, right? It's still a next, you know, step into decreasing the launch cost to put stuff in orbit. And it actually starts to make other business models viable, right? That weren't before. 
we don't see today. I mean, there's of course other companies innovating in space. We see a lot of companies building small launchers, and the small launchers, you know, they're not trying to compete in price per kilowatt or they're trying to compete in ability. Uh, you know, the fact that you can pick exactly where to send the rockets, exactly when to send them. So uh, uh, there's a lot of advantages to using a small rocket to launch things to orbit, but for rolling out a large constellation of satellites like the one we want to do, you know, it's really, for us, it's all about, you know, economics. It's about how, you know, what's the lowest price that we can pay to put these things in orbit, right? And nobody's doing a job as good as space that we, we don't see anybody competing. The other interesting longer-term technologies that are being developed today that I think might in the future compete, but, you know, for the next five, six years, I don't see anybody else in a position to launch for a competing, uh, you know, cost per kilogram, right? In terms of what this means to us, well, uh, I mentioned before, when we started launching, you know, we were building $500,000 satellites and, and you know, at 42 kilograms, uh, we were spending another $500,000, let's say, satellites in, in orbit, right? Today, adjusting the cost per kilogram, right, without taking into account shipping and, you know, and insurance and all the other things that you have on top. So when you looked at the fully loaded cost, what it meant for us is we were looking at $1.3, $1.4 million per satellite, right? The reduction in launch costs has allowed us to, you know, to, to be well below a million dollars per satellite today, um, which is great, right? It means we can put more satellites in the same cost, right? Which is, which is awesome. I, I think it also means we can relax a little bit in terms of mass, right? <laughs> and, 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 and so you, you should be surprised that our next generation of satellites, you know, instead of 42 kilograms goes to 60 kilograms, right? Because now, you know, mass, uh, you know, those extra 20 kilograms of mass might not be a huge impact you know, in economics, it might give us a lot of flexibility into, you know, the services that we can provide. So, uh, so I think that's, you know, that's, that's really good a bit about, about evolution. Now on the business development side, you guys have certainly been busy. A number of key news items over the past few months. Number one, which is huge, you guys went public via a SPAC merger with CF Acquisition 5. I was wondering, how is this going public transaction and how is it working with uh, Cantor? Yeah. So, uh, of course, you know, the, the SPAC market has been very, very difficult over, uh, I would say, over the last year. And uh, so we, you know, we went through this process, the hard time, right? We, 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 you know, we announced uh, or we closed our agreement with, with Cantor early last year. We raised our pipe and announced uh, um, in July last year, right, that we closed the transaction in January this year. And, you know, the market was, uh, you know, there were a lot of headwinds, right, in, in, in SPACs in particular. I think Cantor, Fitzgerald, you know, Howard, Lutnick in particular, Cantor, Fitzgerald in general is, you know, I would say probably the, the most important reason why we were able to close this transaction, right? It's been great working with them. Uh, you know, when we started looking at partners to take the company public through SPAC, uh, you know, when you look at the SPACs, you have kind of, I, I say, you know, you have this kind of three different groups, potential groups of, of stacks, right? You have kind of this, well, at the time you had the, I don't know if this exists today, but at the time you had the, you know, celebrity stacks, right? Like there was someone there, the big name, you know, they kind of build a franchise around that. And, you know, we were running away from those <laughs> for, for, for a kind of very obvious reasons. Right. 
And, uh, and then you had the operators, right? People that come from some industry that have expertise in some particular business, you know, and, and they put together this vehicle to go find the target and really help on the operation side. And in our industry, you know, I think that's great if you can find someone that can really add a lot of value to your particular business. In our case, you know, we, we thought that was very difficult for us to, to, to really go and find. And so we were focused on the third group, which is financial institutions, right? Institutions that have the track record uh, with SPACs, that have the track record raising the funds, you know, and, and not necessarily uh, interested in, in operating company. And, uh, and, and from those, I think, uh, you know, we were very lucky to, to uh, you know, to, to meet Cantor. We were very lucky to choose each other. I think uh, uh, the experience has been, uh, you know, considering the market in which we did this, has been really good. And one other interesting part of that deal is the $150 million investment from Liberty Strategic Capital, albeit, as you indicated, in a very tough market facing a number of headwinds, specifically on the capital raising via SPAC side. But now you have former U.S. Secretary Steve Mnuchin on the board of directors as non-executive chairman. So congrats on that. I'm sure that was instrumental in providing the capital you guys need to grow so one last thing I wanted to touch on was you know the war happening in Ukraine. You guys recently announced an agreement to distribute Earth observation data directly to the Ukrainian government and humanitarian organizations. What are some of the implications? Like, how does Satellogic help the good guys get through this? Yeah, and uh, no, and look in this. Uh, in this situation, first you have to understand that we have a very strict uh, policy for, in terms of terms of use of our data. That you know we only allow our customers to use our data for peaceful purposes. Right? We we don't sell information to you know active military campaigns for targeting or anything like that. It's just really only peaceful use. But in this situation, and so in the situation like this, we have to evaluate you know who we think is going to respect our terms of use, right? Really use this information for good. And, you know, what we saw in this situation in particular, it had been monitoring, of course, the border for some, you know, for a long period of time for Ukraine, for the U.S. government, for other NATO allies. And uh, that were, you know, just really interesting knowing, you know, what's going on with this accumulation of troops on the other side of the border, right, and what's happening. And uh, and when the conflict started, uh, we decided to continue to provide information to Ukrainian government directly, to continue to work with the U.S., and, NATO countries. And the reason for that is that, you know, we see this information can really make a difference in helping evacuate uh, uh, civilians, you know, in helping uh, figure out the logistics to continue to provide uh, for the people still on the ground, right? There is anything we can do, monitoring the troops, monitoring the buildings, you know, monitoring the checkpoints, understanding the routes to to bring uh, um, equipment and to bring food and, 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 uh, help to the civilians in the ground and whatever we can do to help figure out what's the best route to evacuate people. I think those are very important things. And, you know, we, we, I mean, we're literally uh, helping save some lives with the imagery that we're collecting from orbit, right? And, and that's, you know, of course, something that we're extremely proud to be able to do. We are working with a series of governments, but we're also uh, opened up our data to humanitarian organizations working on the ground, NGOs working on the ground, to just basically take our 
collection deck, every image that we're taking every day of Ukraine and surrounding areas for free to use it to uh, to be able to implement some of these campaigns, right? And uh, again, this is you know something that uh, we've been to, uh, to to help in the situation like this. So anybody interested in this information, you can go to um, ukraineobserver.earth. And through a partnership, we built a company called Astrea that puts together an analytics platform to deliver the data. We are giving free access to humanitarian organizations to, you know, to use this data uh, to try to save some people or help some people in the ground. It's certainly an awful situation, but it is great to see organizations such as yours contributing positively. Now, prior to letting you go, Emiliano, I'd like to get... Pick your brain quickly on, you know, the fact that you've built uh, this tech startup in a field that you were not an expert in and you have a tremendous amount of success. What advice would you give to finding success as an entrepreneur? I think the only advice I can give people is you have to really enjoy what you do, right? You have to really have a very good reason to become an entrepreneur because, you know, we typically hear about you know, we hear from people that's been successful, right? <laughs> we, or, you know, we hear from people that at least that survived, right? It's called survivor bias into this interviews, right? You always hear this podcast and, you know, and someone on the other side, well, they, they actually, you know, got something, right? And, and, and the reality is, you know, the chances of that happening when you start a tech startup are very, very small, right? So, you know, the most probable thing, the expected outcome is that you can spend, uh, you know, your life trying to build something everything into it and it's not going to work right so you have to enjoy it you have to really really have reason to do it uh because you know that's the only thing that there you know that you can be sure of right the outcome most of the times you cannot control it that's my advice do something that you love try to do something matters and if you're successful then that's good. Do something you love and success will follow. Well, thank you for that sage advice for investors interested in Satellogic. It's trading under the ticker symbol S-A-T-L. So Emiliano, thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, it's exciting what you guys are building and the great work you're doing. So keep it up and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you guys. It's great to be here. All right. Thanks. Bye everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.